I was uh, really blessed last week with all the words that that people brought. In fact, I, w I was so blessed I had no time to bring one myself, so that, that's good. Um, I really felt from the Holy Spirit that we should carry on in that vein this week, and so I, I'm not the only one who's going to bring a word this morning. But mine's a bit longer because I'm going to try and explain it. Um, When you see the words of prophecy given in the Bible, in the Old Testament, people are speaking direct from God. In the New Testament, the gift's different. It's subject to word, it's subject to testing and so on. But the purpose of prophecy stays the same. Prophecy is given for a number of purposes. And primary amongst those purposes is a calling back to Jesus, of those who've gone away. There's a, a purpose in prophecy, which is a calling back to holiness and the fear of the Lord. And there's a purpose in prophecy, uh, according to Jesus, where the Holy Spirit shows us the things to come. And so, we, we kind of keep that in mind. Some of the things to come, when Jesus said that, actually got fleshed out for us by Paul, Jesus himself, and John, and others. And so we know some of the things that are to come, but we don't know precisely how they all evolve and unravel. And so it's good to bear that in mind when we talk about prophecy, that you can't always nail it down to little minute details. It's a, it's, a, it's a big scope. And so, I've held on to this word uh, for, I guess, about six, seven weeks now because I, I didn't feel that it was right to release it. In fact, I didn't know where I, I should actually talk about it because I, I received it during worship at a conference in Retford, the Harvest Alliance Conference. And uh, as many of you know, I don't, I don't often do this on a Sunday, but if I'm at a conference or I'm not here, I like to be at the back worshipping. I, I, I kind of be kind of where Stephen is now because um, I feel quite self-conscious sometimes. So I like to be at the back. So I went to the back. And during worship, um, I had this open vision. Now, that's, that's rare. I, you know, I, don't, I think I've had three in my life. Um, and, and, and some people never have any, some people have a few more, but they're not like I had an open vision every week. An open vision isn't kind of like a, a rough picture or an idea. Basically what it is, is you, you, you see like a movie in front of your eyes. And it, it's kind of, it's not even transparent, it's like it's there in, and you're in the room, but this, is, this has been displayed before you. So that, that, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, after that evening, we, we went, as you do at conference, we went and sat in the bar and ordered our Diet Cokes and all the rest of it. And uh, so I chatted it through with our friend Liz, who, who a lot of you know, because uh, she's been here a couple, two or three times. And um, she was, I said, what, what, what do you think about this? What should we do with it? And, and she what she said is, well, it seems to me fairly obvious what it's talking about, but it's the question of when is the right time to talk about it. And uh, I think now is the right time. And so I'll, I'll tell you what the vision is, and then I'll uh, talk you through a, a bit of background to it according to Jesus and according to uh, Paul and John. Is, is that okay? So, imagine for a moment, do you, any of you watch those old westerns where they go trekking off to find the Wild West? And they have these little wagons. And uh, the, the, these wagons, like, have a canvas over them. They, they're kind of round. And you, you always see them and, like, Indians come along and fire arrows at them and that sort of stuff. That sort of canvas wagon. Well, 
in this in this field and and uh, it was it was a big area so let's say like the area out there um but surrounded with a fence and in this field there was lots of these little wagons lit up and they they all all had little lamps in them um and they were like the old fashioned lamps you know the ones that that burn a candle not the the like torches so and and they were all these little wagons with their little lights they were all camped around this huge tent and the tent was a circus tent and you couldn't see i i never went in this tent in this vision it, it, this this is this is kind of looking at it and in in so behind all these these circle of wagons or wagons all over the place there was this big tent and there was noise coming out of this tent there was lights flashing uh, there was obviously a show going on in the circus and i'm going like okay this is this is kind of strange and uh, it was at night so everything's black and the lights were bright and all the rest of it and i don't think i've ever seen a night sky that black like there was no it must have been clouds or whatever because there's no moon no stars it it was just black so everything was lit lit up by this circus tent and the little lights around it and uh, so I'm looking at this and then this this red glow appears from behind the tent and I'm watching and it it was kind of like I didn't recognize what was happening at first but this absolutely enormous red angel winged red angel just rose up behind the tent and i'm going like what is going on like <laughs> what 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 are you trying to show me here and uh, and this angel just stood above the tent i mean just absolutely huge and then it poured fire down on the tent and burnt it up and the people ran out of the tent some of them ran away some of them disappeared but anyway it was almost like you know it, it wasn't a slow burn it was almost like so hot that the tent disappeared almost immediately and i'm thinking like oh my goodness and then what happened next because remember this isn't kind of in my head this is an open vision and I'm, I'm going okay so you keep watching and then it just got darker and darker but for the first time my attention switched to one corner of this big field within this fence and in this corner there was a big metal black transmitter beacon and nobody had seen that transmitter beacon because of all the lights and the noise and the show but when they saw this transmitter beacon because it was no longer uh, hidden away or distracted from people in their thousands started to flock towards the beacon because they saw it clearly for the first time that that's that's where it ends so i'm going to talk to you a little bit about what i understood from that inevitably as i said with something like that you all have the your own things that the holy spirit will say to you but this is what i heard i heard a sentence and the sentence is there's a fire coming there's a fire coming and it and it's 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 a purifying fire a a stirring of the heart's fire to return to jesus a consuming fire that not consuming in terms of burning up but a consuming that it becomes our all 
there's a move of God coming. The question is, do we recognise what that is? Because it's, I, I don't think from that that it looks anything like we've previously seen. It's, a di it's of a different quality, of a different nature. And, and therefore we would be wrong to expect a repeat of something that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Because something changed in the world three or four years ago and we're in, we are in entering into a different season. The, the speed of crisis after crisis after crisis is just phenomenal. So how do we understand these things? Well, I'm going to talk about my understanding of what the world will look like just before Jesus comes back. I'm not saying he's coming back next week or next year or whatever. But I do think we're in the rundown or the run up to it. And Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says this. Now, now, brethren, so that's us, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So he comes, we go to meet him. We ask you, don't be shaken by it all. My paraphrase. Don't be shaken by any of this. Or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it's from us as though the day of Christ had come. What, what's that saying? It's saying, don't, because people are kind of flagging all this and have all their ideas about it, don't be shaken. So don't be shaken about anything I'm saying either. And this is the crucial bit. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the great falling away occurs first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's kind of cool. You show yourself, hey, I'm God. Hey, did you know I was God? Yes, I know I was God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you all these things? So Paul's saying, I've already explained this to you, but we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. Well, if there's anything we've lacked reminding ourselves of in this generation, it's of this. So Paul thought it was really important then, and we're a lot nearer, well, 2,000 years plus nearer than he was. And the key thing there is, this isn't going to happen without a falling away in the church. The end will not come without a falling away. That's shocking, isn't it? I mean, like, who wants... To, that is not really popular sermon material, is it? And yet it's in there because it's something that's important for us to know. So we, we, one of the signs that we are entering the very last days is that the church falls away. And that, that's, that's so challenging. You can fall away in lots of different ways. You can fall away because you just stopped going to church. You can fall away because you stopped believing. Uh, you can fall away because you become corrupt. You can fall away because you preach a completely different gospel. The church can fall away and yet fill buildings. Because that term falling away means moving away or, 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 
are, are going away from God's standard and God's heart. That's what it means. So what that's saying is, even if there's a, a church, it's fallen away from God's heart. It's, it's become looking like the world. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's really important. So we have a church that looks like the world to the extent that it remains. And, and I recognize, you know, you, you, when you talk about this thing, you, you have kind of an, a nationalistic perspective. So when you talk about these things, we, we always imagine the church in the UK, the church in America, and probably a few churches in South Africa or Australia. And then people come and say, yeah, but in the world, God is moving and there's people coming into the kingdom in, in places like Iran and China and all that sort of, all of which is true. But you can still have a falling away. Because with a falling away, what we find is you also have a coming to Jesus. You have two opposing moves of moves. One of the enemy and one of God. So the question is, are you gonna are, are we gonna be taken by surprise by this? Well, let's see what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this might surprise some of you because it, it did when I read reread it. Because I think we, we hear this and we make a jump that's not there. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you've no need that I should write to you. Why? Because he's already talked to them about it lots. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Okay, that's the bit we need to watch. For when they say, who's they? the unbelievers or people who don't understand or don't know, when they say peace and safety, that's when sudden destruction is going to come. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so we're not in darkness, so that this day doesn't come as a thief. The thief in the night... It seems sudden and unexpected for those who aren't looking and for those who don't believe. So you've got two categories of people, those who aren't looking in the church and those who don't believe outside the church. And it takes them by surprise like a thief in the night. But for us, it doesn't come as like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the best plate of faith and love, a helmet of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation to our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we will live together with him. So it shouldn't be a complete surprise. We don't know the date. We don't know the exact year. We don't even know the exact decade. But Paul and Jesus both say there are signs. And when you see these signs coming, you're there. So the church shouldn't be taken by surprise when Jesus returns. The church shouldn't be taken by surprise when the Antichrist rises. The church shouldn't be taken by surprise when the things that are prophesied in the Bible actually start to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, uh, reading verse 32-35, he said there's you need to be able to read the signs. And he said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things come to pass, know that it is near and at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. 
which generation? Well, it's not old generation, not the generation that, when that was written. It's the generation who see the signs. So we know that once these things start to happen, once these things start to come, that generation is the one that's going to see Jesus come back. That's why it's so important we know what these things are. So we're not taken by surprise. And here's something that I, I didn't realize, and somebody pointed it out to me. And, uh, and then I heard somebody uh, speak about it. The Bible actually has, I didn't, I didn't know this, twice as many chapters that refer to the second coming of Jesus than it has about the first coming of Jesus. Specifically so we're not taken by surprise. And I'm going like, man, that's incredible. I didn't know that. And then we have, how can I put this? When we think about these things coming to pass, we always think of the persecution and the like, spectacular, horrible things that are going to happen. And when Jesus was talking about his coming, and when Paul talks about his coming, and when John talks about his coming, they talk about the persecution that the church will face. And we sometimes think, well, that's another country, that's Iran or somewhere like that. The persecution they're talking about is rejection by the society that you're part of in a way that rejects you unless you ascribe to their values. And that can manifest itself in all sorts of ways. But here's the really surprising thing. When you look at Jesus, and when you look at Paul, and when you look at John, yes, they talk about persecution. I mean, Jesus says, actually, guys, I mean, like, if I was wanting you, a, an unbeliever, to come into the kingdom, would I say this? Because Jesus said this. He said, if you follow me, and you do what I ask, you will, with certainty, be persecuted. Lack of persecution in our life is a sign that we're not close to Jesus. And we, we've got this church world and secular world that will do anything to escape anything that makes us uncomfortable. And Jesus said, hang on, if you, if you, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, it should worry you. If you don't stick out like a sore thumb where society is, it should worry you. And, and so, but despite all of that, Jesus and Paul and John talk twice as much about deception than they do about persecution. So twice as many things about the second coming as the first, and twice as much about deception than there is about persecution. I guess if we asked, took a poll at the doors you were coming in, you wouldn't think that the major problem at the end is deception. If I took that poll then, you wouldn't think that. You would think, most people would say, it's all those horrible things that are going to happen to Christians. No, actually the biggest problem is deception. Why? Because you're out of here. The, 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 believer, the, the people who are deceived are all the ones that are fallen away. Now, what do they fall away from? They don't fall away necessarily from church going, although some will, and some already have. They fall away from God's way of living. That's why it needs to occur first before the man of lawlessness can come. Well, who's the man of lawlessness? The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. And he comes in a way that he represents lawlessness. That's his name. What's lawlessness? Lawlessness is a de despising of God's word. 
A despising of God's standard. A despising of what God asks us to do. A despising of God's ways. So what you see if the church is falling away and society is falling away, you see a society that is rejecting everything of God. Saying we don't need that anymore. In fact, people who believe that are crazy. People who believe that, they're the extremists. They're the ones that, that, that cause all the problems. Let's get rid of them. Let's back them into corners. Anybody not think we're there? Isaiah called it, calling good bad and bad good. Because... We no longer adhere to God's ways as a people and as a body. When the Antichrist comes, he doesn't come by force. He comes because the world welcomes him and puts him on the pedestal. He represents everything that they disliked about God. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to be celebrated because he's going to fix economies. He's going to let anybody do anything they want and he's going to say it's good. Don't you tell me what's good and bad. It's all okay, we just do what we want and we celebrate doing what we want. So the question then becomes, what is the condition of the church when all that is happening? What's going to happen to the church when that happens, all that comes? Well, to find out that, we have to, we have to listen to good old Paul. And I'll read you some, some verses. First Timothy, uh, he, he's basically repeating what Jesus says in Matthew 24, but about what the church will be like. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, gives us a good intro. He says, um, Have I got that right? Yeah. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strained, have turned aside to idle talk. They desire to be teachers of the law, teachers of God's ways, but they understand neither what they say nor the things which they're affirming. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So the first characteristic of the church is it's led by teachers who actually aren't good teachers. In order to achieve what they want to achieve, they affirm things that they don't understand and they don't personally know. And they don't teach the word. They teach this thing that they call the gospel, but it's not the word. So that, that's the first thing Paul says. And then in, in chapter 4 of the same letter, he says this. Now the Spirit expressly says. Not like the Spirit says, but the Spirit expressly says. In other words, listen to this, guys. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's not doctrines about Satan. That's stuff that is inspired by demons in order to pervert the true teaching of the gospel. And the result is people depart from faith. So this has been taught to believers. And the result is it causes them to think all sorts of things that ultimately take them down this path where they have no faith left.
The Christian world is rife with that stuff in the West now. It's called deconstruction. It's called universalism. It's called extreme grace. It has many faces. It denies that God wants you to change. It denies that the Holy Spirit will convict you of the need to change. It denies the need for the fear of the Lord and it denies holiness. It tells you that God is always pleased with you. Don't get me wrong. I, used to, I was careful with my words. But these guys aren't. God isn't always pleased with you. You can do things that break God's heart. Ephesians chapter 4 tells you you can break his heart, you can grieve his spirit, and you can cause him deep emotional pain. God always loves you unconditionally. And you can't change that. You can't make him love you more. You can't make him love you less. He loves you, and he loved you before you even knew him and, and came to him. But you are always pleasing. I love my kids unconditionally, but I have to say over the years, they've done stuff that hasn't always been pleasing. Jessica loves her little puppy dog. But this week, when it ate all her bolognese, all her pasta and the side salad, her little puppy dog was not popular. But she still loves him, but she's not, loves her, but she's not pleased with her. Can you see the difference? And, and the trouble is that the... the the, the demonic inspires this in people. People like this. And then they set up whole ministries to teach this. Like, come to me. I am, I am always pleasing church. Come to me. I am grace church because no other church talks about grace. Come XXX and so on. What's that a sign of? That's a sign. I, I, I read that. The sign is that the circus is about to get burnt down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now just listen to this carefully. Because we don't always get it at first. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. It's all about me. It's all about how I feel. It's all about making me happy. It's all about my comfort. Lovers of money. Boasters. That's a really interesting one because that word boasters, it, you could translate it, they brag about themselves all the time. They self-promote. They climb the ladder. They, they, they get on by telling you how amazing they are. Proud. That means they want to appear as above others. That's what that word means. They, they, they want to be the one on the platform and the pedestal and where others look up to them. Blasphemers. That's an old word, isn't it? What, does it say blasphemers? Yeah, blasphemers. That's an old word. Let me translate it for you with another old word. Um, it means that they're scurrilous. That means they go around approving of what God does not. People who approve of what God does not. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Not holy, not living holy, maybe in public living holy, but not in private. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. Um, we got brutal on there, yeah. You'll all have different translations of that word, because basically what it means is aggressively assertive. You don't agree with me, 
You're not my friend. You don't preach what I like, Pastor Mark. I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. There's like, I've, I've got my own agenda. You don't fit my agenda. I'm out. Despisers of good. People who call good bad and bad good. Traitors. Traitors means promise breakers. Yet they don't keep the word. They'll build you up and, and give you what you want for as long as you want it, but then when it doesn't suit them, they'll break the promise. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't that a terrible world to live in? Isn't that awful? Here's the thing. That's not the world he's talking about. He's talking about the church at the end. It's full of these people. Because they have a form of godliness but deny its power. So turn away from those people. Make deliberate decisions that will cost you to turn away from that sort of stuff. Here's the problem with deception. We don't know we're deceived if we can't hear something that doesn't agree with the deception. So millions fall into deception as the gospel walks out the door and gets twisted and watered down and made small because of the fear that people will leave and the fear that people will come. You see, you can fill a church any time you like if you've got enough money and you make the church look like the world. Because the world is on the take and if you're giving, it'll come. Doctrines of demons and deceptions. That's the bad news. Do anybody want some good news now? I'll give you one more bad news. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 3. The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside into fables. Hey, guys, let's, let's hire pastors and teachers and leaders who will tell us what we want to hear and make us feel good about ourselves. And if they don't make us feel good about ourselves, we'll sack them and get somebody else instead. That's what he's saying. The thing is, if I was saying that off my own bat, you'd go like, this guy's going crazy. But I'm not. I'm reading what Jesus and Paul said. And that's what we can expect as the end approaches. The question is, how close are we? And do we see any of that in ourselves? And do we see anything we should be avoiding? And turning away from? Because whilst there's a, a great darkness at the end, and a falling away, there's also a glorious move of God. So this is the good news. But the glorious move of God occurs through a remnant. A remnant church. Those who haven't fallen away. And sometimes, I guess for the outside world, it might be that we can't even tell who's who because we all call ourselves church. But there's, there's a remnant that you find in Revelation. So I'll go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. Are you, are you all right with this? I've done the scary bit, okay. Revelation chapter 12. And this talks about the remnant church. There's a sign that appears in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with moon under her feet, and on her head a garland twelve stars. Being with child, she cried out in labor and pain gave birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. 
Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, seven horns. Don't worry all about all this. His tail drew a third of the stars. He's talking about how this, these two opposing kingdoms. And war, but going down to verse 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought. They did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. What we're seeing here is an opening of what's going on in the spiritual realm. But they did not prevail, nor a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great serpent was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, who deceives the whole world. So this is where the deception comes from. Ultimately, it comes from the devil who was cast out of heaven after the war in heaven. That, that's a long time ago. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength. So in, in the light of all that blackness, that bad news, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death, the remnant. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Water the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And then, so what's the characteristics of this remnant? Well, chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours and their works follow them. So what are the characteristics of the remnant church, the glorious church? You see, Isaiah prophesied this glorious church and he said great darkness and we read this as a Christmas verse great darkness comes upon the earth and on all the peoples of the earth and then it talks about arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you that's actually in the context of a prophecy of the end there's a glorious church that rises there's a pure, spotless bride who welcomes Jesus. So, so what's the characteristics of this end-time church? Well, firstly, it keeps his commandments. Revelation 14 keeps his commandments, does what he asks them to do. It's important. If Jesus asks them to give, they give. If Jesus asks them to go, they go. If Jesus asks them to stay, they stay. If Jesus asks them to teach, they teach. If Jesus asks them to stand in the face of persecution, they stand. They do what they ask him. And so they keep his commandments. What's the second? Well, you'd have to go to another passage. I'm not going to go because we, otherwise we're out of time. But the second characteristic is they fear the Lord. That's Revelation chapter 11. Uh, verse 18 and 19, the fear of the Lord. And then we, we come to this, back to this passage I'm talking about. What They have faith. They live by faith. And, you know, that's the question Jesus asked, isn't it? When I come back to the earth, will I find faith? And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because he didn't say, when I come back to the earth, will I find churches? Or will I find love? Or... Will I find um, size? Will I find riches? Will I find fame? Will I, will I find, find organisations? He said, when I come back to earth, the thing that I'm really bothered about is will I find faith? The people who will trust me beyond anything, any circumstance, anything that is happening and will stick with me because they know I love them. Will I find those people? And Jesus was really concerned about that. What are the characters? They endure. They carry something called the spirit of prophecy. 
They are a prophetic church, a prophetic people. Now, that doesn't mean, it's really important we get this, that doesn't mean the gift of prophecy was in operation and we had a few words on a Sunday morning. It means that that church has a message which is heard beyond the church into the secular world. It's a prophetic sign to the world. Because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's a church that has returned to its first love and put Jesus right at the centre. And its message is Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. And it's a laying down of our lives for Jesus. And it's making Jesus the one thing that matters. That's the prophetic church. That's the spotless bride. When there's no promiscuity where we love Jesus, not all the other stuff, where Jesus is the love of our life. So the great danger we face is not the gas price. The great danger we face isn't persecution. Oh, well, that will come. And he's already here. The reason we don't notice persecution is we've morphed so far that we, st we just look like everybody else anyway. <laughs> Great danger is deception and a falling away from God, from his standards, from his ways, from his provision, from trusting him, from making him the centre of our lives. And there's a fire coming. And the circus is going to get burnt down. But the good news is there's a beacon that we couldn't see before. There's a man raised up on a cross. And people will start to see him. And he'll come into the kingdom. And the glory of the Lord will rise on his church. There's a move coming. There's a move of God coming. And it's a move of holiness. It's a move of purity. It's a move of returning back to Jesus as our first love. It's a move of the fear of God. It's, it's a move of endurance. And it's a move of obedience. It's a move of unpopular Bible words. It's a move away from us to him. Sherry. Sherry uh, was at Truth Quest yesterday and she did her first preach. And it was great. But at the end of the speech, we were asking her some questions and giving feedback. And she came out with just this really passionate thing. And we, we thought, God's on that. God's on that, just that little word, that word there. So I've asked her to share it. And then we're going to pray. Okay. Well, for Truth Crest, we've been looking at Hebrews 6, and the heading on it has perils of non-progression. And that just played on my heart, and I couldn't really get past that. Anyway, perils of non-progression. Yeah. Roger. Right, okay. So that was on my heart, and I kept reading it, reading it over and over. And um, this kind of developed more and more. And I did one thing one night. You know how you, you've been reading the Word, and then you go to bed, and you go to sleep, but you're still thinking of the word. So I did that. And in the middle of the night, woke up. Um, and thought, oh, my gosh. And this just came to me, and it was upside down evangelism. And I thought, well, that's not me thinking that. That's coming from the Holy Spirit. And then with that came a situation that I had seen previously, a reason where somebody had fallen away who'd been a very strong Christian, had very good faith, and this had just eroded away. 
and that's what my message was about. But it was also at the point of, we're at this point now where we know lots of people in here. We've probably got friends, family, church family that we know that were really good Christians. They had really good faith and they were here, but now they're not. And what was placed on my heart was, is we've got to talk to them. It's not Mark can't go around and talk to everybody we know. It's all of us. You know, we've got this faith and we've got to put it into action. and We've got to start talking to these people gently, nicely, and, and trying to bring them back, bring them back to the word. And that's what it was all about, upside down evangelism. But Mark didn't tell me what he was going to talk about today. But literally, what Mark was saying is what I was, was given. Yeah, so when Sherry uh, talked about this word, upside down evangelism, um, I immediately, in my mind, went to when Sherry and her friend Sally first appeared in our church, back in the, the old purse. And at that time, I think we were clear that part of, a large part of our mission as a body was to call back people who had fallen away and to unstick stuck Christians. Um, Sherry apparently remembers me going to her and say, and just coming up to her and going, you're, you're stuck, aren't you? And she said, yes. <laughs> but there were so many believers in churches and, you, and who used to be in churches that need rescuing. And we need to go rescue them. And that might seem upside down because we're used to thinking of rescuing people who've never known Jesus. But we need to start rescuing those again who are stuck and those who have fallen away. And we need to go after them. We need to talk to them. It's our mission field, guys. So can we pray? Let's pray. Hope I haven't scared everybody this morning because... Hopefully, you're got, you, you should be going now. I want to be the bride. I want to be in the glorious remnant. I want the, the glory of the Lord to rise upon me. So, Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for all your goodness to us. All your kindness. All your blessings. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for when we've kind of failed you, when we haven't stood where we should have stood, we haven't um, listened where we should have listened, and we didn't move when we should have moved. And Lord, I pray that we would, that you, this fire that is coming, that you would light it in our hearts, that you, your love would consume us, that we would be people who will follow you, fear you, trust you, endure with you, and love you. Who will put Jesus first, that, that beacon that draws men to himself. Yeah. Lord, where, where we, we get involved in stuff that's not about Jesus, I ask you to forgive us. Yeah. And I ask you to help us as you continue to lay these things on our hearts. So thank you, Lord. Praise you. God's people said? Amen. 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 Amen.